All right, Pastor Becker, why don't you come up? We're honored to have him. You know, it's funny, uh, um, California has a lot of good churches. Now, we need a lot more because we got a lot of people. And uh, Regency, we've kind of had a connection with them over the years. Uh, we've fought there and others, but uh, Pastor Becker, I wanted to have him come down and be with us. Uh, they usually come down for some of our tournaments and, and um in our youth conference, and we go up there every year, and we appreciate him and appreciate what he is doing, and so let's give him a warm Pacific Baptist welcome. Well, thank you, Pacific Baptist Church. We've always admired your church from afar, and uh, anytime we've been in, able to come down here for your conferences, tournaments, uh, there's always been a healthy competitive spirit between Pacific and Regency. And uh, I grew up in Regency Baptist Church. I get a pastor my home church. Different location, but a long story. And uh, through the years playing your church in tournaments and uh, having that connection and relationship with your teenagers as a young person, and now kind of being on the other side of that, uh, we appreciate a church that is still standing for truth. And along with that, a church that's on fire for the Lord. Uh, it's been a blessing each time we come here to see the updates with the building. And uh, I remember as a teenager coming and being in the other uh, part of the property and, and just seeing how God is using this place. It's, it's encouraging. I, I love it. Somebody told our church they were a part of another church in our area, uh, just, you know, a different kind of a Christian church, if you will. And uh, they started coming to our church, and I said, you know, what, what, what made you change? And they said, I want to be a part of a church that's doing something. And I know this about your church, that your reputation precedes you. This is a church that is busy for the cause of Christ. That's a church you want to be a part of, and uh, I thank the Lord for your faithfulness, <clears throat> your pastor, Despositos, all the faithful families that we've kind of known and met and known of throughout the years, and uh, so I sincerely am uh, thankful to be here with you all tonight and uh, tomorrow with, with the men and the young men, and uh, man, you've all spoiled us so far. By the way, I picked up a stray on the way. I don't know where he is. Johnny, somewhere around here. Do you know Johnny Lyons? He's, he's up. Wake up, Johnny. It's preaching time, all right? <laughs> He's here with me tonight. You know the Lions, maybe, for those of you who've been here for some time and uh, flew down with me. And we're proud of him, one of our uh, seniors in our school this year. And uh, so glad to be here with you all. Let's turn our Bibles, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, I was uh, thinking to myself, you have your missionary of the week, the Winklers. Uh, the pen that I have in my suit jacket is from the Winklers. And uh, they make pens. I don't know if you knew that, Brother, Brother Myers, but uh, we support them as well and thankful for their faithfulness. Matthew 26, if you would stand please for the reading of God's word this evening. Matthew chapter number 26. I love that coffee station coming in to the auditorium. Just so you know, if you ever hear about Regency getting a coffee area, it's because of you. When we were here at the tournament in January, so many of our people, pastor, and they're taking pictures and looking up stuff online. And I said, whoever wants to buy it, I'm all for it. And as long as you make me a cup every time, you know, during services and whatnot, uh, but we always joke about that. We're, we're, we're seriously talking about just recently a spot for it, and it always comes up, you know, Pacific. And uh, yeah. anyways, so if we go long tonight, blame the barista, Daniel, wherever he is. All right, Dan Matthew chapter 26 tonight, we'll begin reading in verse number 36. Matthew 26, 36. This is the account, as is at the end of each gospel, on the last, the last moments of Christ as he was sacrificed as he was beaten and tortured for our benefit and for our eternity. And we'll look at just a thought here tonight as we go through this very familiar story. Verse 36 says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. 
and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, and their eye, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. If you go back to where we uh, began, verse 36, it speaks of this place where this account is given called Gethsemane. And we'll be looking at this tonight on the subject of uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, as we look at your word tonight, I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, as you've spoken to mine, and Lord, how you've taught me, Lord, from this passage of Scripture, I pray that we'd be open. I pray that we'd be attentive. I pray that we'd be yearning, Lord, to be spoken to by your Holy Spirit. God, be with the next few moments together. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout our lives, we have moments that we would call pivotal moments. Maybe you could think of, as a young child, just those certain memories that you go back to that might have changed the direct trajectory of your life. A decision your parents made, a decision that you made, you might think about marriage and college and graduation and for parents, children that come into your lives and then grandchildren and all these moments throughout our lives that we would refer to as pivotal moments. As we look at this story and the last moments of Christ on this earth, I think we find a very pivotal moment here when we see Jesus in a very intimate setting at the Garden of Gethsemane. For all the parents in the room know this, when when our firstborn came into the world, it was, it was an amazing thing. And children are an incredible gift from God. Our world wants to say that they're a burden and that they're an annoyance and that they're just, just a, a shame to have around, but the Bible says they're a blessing. Yeah, and when God gifts you with a life, it, 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 is, it is a blessing. We have uh, some kind of a marriage or family conference at our church this year because God is in the home, the biblical model of the home. And I remember when our firstborn was born, how just Pastor Myers blown away I was as a new dad, just thinking that God has entrusted in me and my wife this life. And then, and then the second and the third, I started to feel guilty thinking we have five children now. Maybe this next time around, I'm not going to feel the excitement like I did the first time. Maybe it won't hit me as hard, but, but every time that God has gifted us with our five children that have been born of the world, it's such an incredible thing. God taught me something through the birth of our, of our latest, I hate to use that word, it sounds like the latest iPhone or something, you know, <laughs> through our child, Avery, and she's just turned one back in, back in April, but, but when we were in the hospital, God, God gave me this passage, and I want to share this truth to you tonight. Hopefully you can look back to your salvation date as a pivotal moment in your life. 
Maybe a time where you surrender to God and say, yes, Lord, this was the time that I got serious about the things of God. I know you all had Brother Hicks here recently for your youth conference, and I have a picture on my phone on the platform of the night that I surrendered to preach. And that was the night that for me it was, yes, Lord. And hopefully for you at some point in your life to this point, there's been a time, and since then, Lord willing, a daily time where the, 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 the answer is to God, yes, Lord. So, so, so these are, are pivotal moments in our lives. We find here in Gethsemane, this was a pivotal moment in the life of Christ. You understand that Jesus didn't come to walk on the water. He didn't come to heal blind men. He didn't come for the sick. He didn't come uh, for the feeding of the 5,000. Now, we understand that that was a part of his purpose. There was a reason for it. We did that. I'm not discounting that part of his life. But this and what we read about, this is why he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Yep. If he did this and didn't do any of the other stuff, we'd still be fine. Oh, yeah. Saved by the blood of the lamb, be able to come to church and sing about being saved. But if he did all the miracles and never went to Calvary, all of this would be a waste. Oh, yeah. And we talk a lot about the beatings that he took. And we discuss all of the, the pain that he went through and the agony and the, and the torture and, and the blasphemy. But it all started here in this garden. And I want to make a statement tonight as we look at this. If there was no Gethsemane, there would have been no Golgotha. Yeah. If there was no Gethsemane, there would have been no Golgotha. Now, what happened at Gethsemane? At Gethsemane, the Bible says that Jesus had the disciples with him. He took three, the three with him that he had at other times taken away from the rest of the group. Uh, with, with the Mount of Transfiguration and, and the man's daughter. And we find him take them apart and he leaves them at a, a tree, if you will, and he goes a stone's throw away, falls down on his face. The Bible said his soul was sorrowful and very heavy. Yeah. And we remember that he was God, but he was also man. Yeah. Sinless, but a man. Yeah. And also knowing exactly what was going to happen after this point. And that human side of him, you can imagine thinking about what's going to come and what's going to take place. And, and, and we don't want to take away from the deity of Christ, but also understanding his humanity and the, and, and the, and, and the reality of the situation. And he falls on his face and prays, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But I like it. The verse doesn't end there, does it? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That's the Son of God making that statement. And we as feeble men can't even say, yes, Lord. And the Son of God who was sinless and perfect and holy, the Son of God who walked on the water and healed and raised from the dead, the Son of God come down from heaven and said, not as I will, but as thou will. What, what an example. Again, if there was no garden, if there was no Gethsemane, I say this, there would have been no Golgotha. We see him tell the disciples, the, the three, to stay there. And he prayed and he comes back. Again, this is, this is a pivotal moment. This is where everything comes to the reason that he came to the earth. And what are they doing? Sleeping. Yeah. Kind of like what happens after a big feast at a Baptist church, amen? None of you tonight, of course. Maybe at Regency Baptist, but no, just kidding. If any of our people are watching online, I didn't mean it, all right? So he comes back and he finds them sleeping and, and he wakes them up and says, what, could you not watch with me one hour? One hour? 
He went aside, and the Bible says he, he, he prayed the, the same thing again. My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And he comes back, and he finds them sleeping, but he, but he lets them be. And for me, I believe this, that this was the moment where we see that separation between the Lord and his disciples. That, remember, just a moment ago said, no matter what happens, we will be there right by your side. Peter said, oh, no, Lord, I'm not going to be the one. All the sheep can be scattered but I'll be there, and I'll be faithful, and I'll be there right by your side. Jesus, of course, prophesied before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. But at this moment, you see that separation starts to take place. Christ is basically alone after this. And he goes and prays the third time, and he lets them be there. I want to look at this a little bit deeper, what it means to see Christ's pivotal moment here at Gethsemane. Number one, if you're taking notes, the seclusion of Gethsemane. Now, what's, what, what, what's interesting about this, and we know about our Lord, just about his example, is that Gethsemane was a familiar place. Not necessarily that place, but everywhere the Lord went, he had a type of Gethsemane, if you will. Right. He had a place where he'd set himself apart from his people, and he'd go to pray. He'd say, I need to get alone. I need to have time with God. I need to have time with the Heavenly Father before the miracle, after the miracle, before the town, after the town. Over and over we see this, a familiar setting where the Lord separated himself to pray. It was a familiar place, and wherever he went, he had a Gethsemane. Nothing, I believe, was more important to Christ than his places of Gethsemane. It was a secret place. It was the place where he could be alone with his father, a place where he could share his burdens, a a place that he could go to for strength, a place that he knew that he needed, and a place that you need as well. Can I ask you this? Do you have that place that you can go to? Do you have that place that you do go to? Wherever he went, he had a place. Oh, well, I'm just so busy. I don't know about you. I've never had the mobs of the city follow me around all day. I've never had people uh, prod and pull and try to touch me and try to, maybe a couple of toddlers at home, but you know. I mean, everywhere he went, he had people who wanted to see him and things he had to do. And the more that his name was spread around, he was busy, but he found the time. Why? Because the time was important to him. He knew that he needed it. And again, this is the son of God. This is the one that was sinless. It was a familiar place. We can sacrifice a lot of slots in our schedule. Can I encourage you tonight? Don't sacrifice your Gethsemane. Don't sacrifice that place. Gethsemane was his place to set him apart from the people and the problems. Our Lord instructs us in Matthew 6, 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. In other words, there's a separation. You have to pull yourself away from the things of the world. You have to put down the phone and turn off the TV and go to a secret place, whether it is a a bedroom, whether it is a garage, whether it is a a quiet living room, whether it is a vehicle. When I was in college, it was an elevator for a semester, Brother Myers. Wherever it is, that place that you can get alone with God. Getting alone with his father was his chance to pull himself away from the oppositions, the attacks, the hustle, the bustle, the pressures of life. I fear that we often use that device to pull away. We use social media to pull away. We use fun activities. Our world is drunk on fun. What do they call it, Sunday? Fun day. I hate that term. Not because Sunday shouldn't be fun, but because they're not talking about church when they're using that statement. 
We need Gethsemane, and Gethsemane, can I say you find peace because of who is there, and you retain that peace because of what God gives you while you're there. Number two, the struggle in Gethsemane. Jesus knew that the people were against him at this point, and you kind of see things start to uh, boil up, and the pressure start to rise, and, and Judas goes before this was the Last Supper, and we don't have to go through all of that account, probably with those that are here tonight, but you see things starting to stir to this moment, and, and they go, and they, they come with staves and swords, and, and they come by the mob to take him. He knew what was taking place. Gethsemane, just outside of the city walls of there in Jerusalem, we are reminded that in this time, in these pressures, that our Lord was facing intense agony. Luke 22, 44 states, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. This is a a, a medical phenomenon when stress is so high and anxiety is so high and the sweat glands mixed with the blood, and he literally was sweating sweat drops of blood. There was a struggle there. But what did he do with the struggle? He went to that place. He didn't go to the po- to post. He didn't go to a friend. He didn't go to an individual. He didn't go to his hobby. He didn't go to his quick fix. He went to that place. Jesus was clearly burdened. I believe he was burdened for the people that were about to take him. He was burdened for the disciples that they would face in the coming days. His heart was heavy, no doubt, knowing what was going to come for him personally. While he carried your sin and mine, as the Bible says, he was burdened and bruised. He, he did that for our iniquities. With his stripes, we are healed. He was burdened. Prayer always involves a struggle. He said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Terry here, and watch with me, went further. We'll read it again. Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me nevertheless Not as I will, but as thou wilt. And even in this struggle, what did he do? He gave it to his father. He didn't get angry at him. He didn't blame it on him. He didn't blame the disciples. Well, they just couldn't keep up. They just were never with me. I didn't have the support system around me. I didn't have everything working in its place. Things weren't perfect at work, and and the world wasn't this, and the weather wasn't this, and then he just said, Lord, I surrender. And we see a surrendered spirit. What what was it? It was a struggle, a struggle. Have you ever struggled with the Lord on something? Maybe it was the call of God. Maybe you got saved later on life, and there were things that you had to get away from in your past. That old man, sometimes it sticks around a little bit, and you had to struggle with some sins. Or struggle with a friend, a relationship. Maybe it was struggle with just your flesh and your spirit. Maybe it was a struggle with bitterness. We see in this struggle. And then number three, his surrender. The surrender at Gethsemane. John 4, 34 says it this way. Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And I like this. And to finish his work. I love seeing the building, Brother Myers, because you're finishing something. The Christian life isn't just about what you start, it's about what you finish. I've told a story before about a basketball game against Pacific Baptists about not starting well but finishing well, but that one ended better for us. I'm not going to tell that one tonight, but there are plenty that ended better in your favor and not in ours. Your girls have dominated our tournament every year, and uh, one thing I've always loved about Pacific is the competitive nature, the work ethic, and all of that, but 
all kidding aside, we, we see his surrender. He said, I came here to do his will and to finish his work. That's what Gethsemane was. That's what the garden was. That's what Golgotha was. And hey, that's what the empty tomb was. Finishing the work that he came to do. Jesus gave himself not at Calvary, but at Gethsemane. Again, if there had been no Gethsemane, there would have been no Golgotha. This is when he surrendered his spirit. It's when he gave himself. It's when that struggle became a surrender. And long before he went to the cross, he gave himself, even in his struggle. You know, surrender is easy when circumstances are in your favor. Surrender is easy after you get a pay raise. Surrender is easy when everyone around you likes you. Surrender is easy when Judas isn't seen in sight. Surrender is easy when, when everything lines up according to your plan. Surrender is easy when pastor isn't preaching on your sin. Surrender is easy when, when, when it's all about you, but that's not the Christian life. Not my will, but thine be done. Amen. You know, God says, bring your struggles to me. Bring your burdens to me. Bring your cares to me. Bring it to me. But in that time, something amazing happens where the heart of somebody who truly wants to follow God and do the will of him that sent him and to finish his work says, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Amen. I can tell you this. It was not my will to be a pastor. It's not my will to go soul winning. It's not my will to give. It's not my will to help people's problems when I have problems of my own. But why do we do that as Christians? Surrendered heart. Come on. Surrendered heart. Yep. By the way, that's not just a one-time decision. That is a daily declaration that, Lord, today, I'm yours. Yep. And tomorrow again, I'm yours. And whatever happens the next day, God, I'm yours. Yep. The surrender. And then lastly, number four, the strength. After Gethsemane, I like this. If you go to the account in Luke 22, you don't need to turn there. Verse 42, it says, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Jesus was strengthened for the burden that he was going to carry. And that happened in Gethsemane. The strength didn't come on the cross. It, it manifested itself on the cross, but the strength came because of Gethsemane. That's why we pray before the problems come. That's why we seek God before the emergency. We, we, we don't just look for a life raft. We don't just ask God to be that spare tire in case of a blowout. We have that time with him before the battle comes. It's a daily walk. It was in this time that he had strength. Everything that he endured took a heavenly dose of strength. And because he was strengthened, he was able to endure what he did. I love seeing this comparison. We have two gardens that are very famous in the Bible. The garden we look at tonight, the Garden of Gethsemane. And the garden at the beginning of time, the Garden of Eden. Both very significant. The fall of man and the restoration of man. Yep. We have man as its lowest point, And then we have the redemption through our Savior. In one garden, we see this, that man chose to give himself to the world. In another garden, Jesus chose to give himself for the salvation of the world. In one garden, Satan was prophesied to be defeated one day. And in another garden, that defeat became a reality come true in the moments that would follow. In one garden, God made everything perfect, and then man made it a mess. In another garden, Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice needed to clean up that mess. 
In one garden, man was at the center and created a catastrophe. And in another garden, Jesus was at the center and made a way for victory. This was, this was a pivotal moment. This was a turning point. A, a time of sort of secrecy. A time where we just get a, a microscope, if you will, into the events of this story. We know about Calvary. And we know about the torture and the, and the pain and the agony that he went through. But so many times we, we breeze past this point in the account just like we breeze past it in our lives. I'll talk to God later. I'll have my time with him later. I'll get the strength later. I'm just busy. I got too much to do. Uh, I got so much on my plate as, as a mom and as a dad, as a business, as a bus captain, a Sunday school teacher, whatever it may be. If it was important to him, it should be important to us too. My question is simple tonight. Do you have a Gethsemane? This was something that the Lord made very personal to my wife and I, to me personally, when our, when our fifth child was born, Avery, she's just over a year now. All of our times in the hospital there have gone very smoothly. And they told us, you're not going home like you normally do. Normally it's 24 hours, maybe a little bit more if there's small complications. But uh, there's something wrong, not to be alarmed, but she'll have to go down to the NICU. It's not a fun place to be. Many parents, and I know probably many others have, have had a child in the NICU before. It's, it's, it's frightening. A, 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 a little baby who I can't really do much for at that point. In the hands of the doctors there and next to her in that, in that place was a, was a child, and their parents came and, and watched them. That baby had to be fed through the brain with, with a feeding tube and just think about the, the heaviness of that place. Yeah. And she was only there for a couple of days. Praise the Lord. God was good to us through that. And we went home and it was, and it was wonderful. But I remember feeling so burdened and so helpless and so overwhelmed in that moment. I remember praying to God there as the nurse was working through the IV and that. And I can't look at that stuff anyways. Thank the Lord for all medical professionals. Amen. I remember going to God in prayer and the strength, the safety, the help in that place of Gethsemane. And I thank the Lord that I had a place to run to, a place where I, I didn't want to burden my wife, who I know was fearful too, a place where I thought, Lord, I don't know how to say this to anybody else or talk to anybody else about this. I don't know, don't know what to do here, but I know this, I have a Gethsemane. I can ask you, do you have a place that you can go to when life is in a moment like this and you go, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know what's going to take place with this situation. God, I don't know what you're going to do with this thing. Do you have a Gethsemane? We named our daughter Avery. Her middle name is Claire after my, my brother, their, their firstborn. Their firstborn was only in this world just for a short time. She was a stillbirth. And I remember as a teenager driving driving up to my brother's a couple hours north of us and seeing that little casket. And as a teenager, you know, you're not really in those shoes yet as a parent and trying to wrap my head around that situation. But I remember watching my brother through that process and staying faithful to God, staying faithful to his family. God gave them a son. They've now adopted two girls. We, we named her middle name after Claire. I've seen others before me go through this, but I know the strength didn't come from them. It came from Gethsemane. It came from that place, that special place, 
We, we look at Golgotha. We look at the limelight. We look at the big event. And we don't want to discount that. And of course with our Lord, that, that was such a sacred and holy and, and marvelous time. But in our lives, we, we look to the big stuff. We pass by this so quickly. But this is where it started. And if the Lord didn't surrender himself here, again, there would have been no Golgotha. And I, can I say here tonight that if you don't have a Gethsemane, you, don't, you won't make it when Golgotha comes. You won't make it when the hard times come. You won't be able to push yourself through because, because you're the tough guy. You're the one that's been in church a long time, so you know all the Bible anymore. You don't, you don't have to read it for yourself. You, you can get up and w- wing a sermon and uh, give a lesson or, or run a program, and, and you're good because you've been here for some time. Again, if, if the Lord thought this to be important, how much more should we? Uh, I heard a song written by this, and it's entitled, Have You Had a Gethsemane? In the garden, Christ went to pray when it seemed hope was gone. And he prayed with a broken heart, and he prayed all alone. Have you had a Gethsemane? Have you prayed in despair? In the dark of dreary hour, did the Lord meet you there? Have you had a Gethsemane? Have you prayed the night through? Have you shed tears of agony when no hope was in view? Have you prayed, if it be thy will, may this cup pass from me? But if it's thy will, dear Lord, I will bear it for thee. One of the most important things that we try to teach new Christians at our church is, yes, being faithful to church and and going soul winning and giving and and helping people, all those things, but it's, it's that personal time. It's that time with their Heavenly Father because it's there you get the strength for whatever Golgotha will bring. Our Father, as we come to you tonight, I thank you, Lord, for this church and their faithfulness. Father, I I know, Lord, as a Christian, that we are not free from the troubles, the pressures, the enemies, the oppositions that life many times brings. But God, through Gethsemane, you, you give us a lifeline. You give us a a source of help at our disposal at any time that we need it. Father, so many times we pass by this, and I know I've been guilty of the same. And I pray, Lord, that we would not discount what it means to have a personal, a personal walk with our God. Lord, may it be that maybe tonight someone decides to renew a, a time in their Bible, a time in prayer to renew secluding a place and a time in their life and in their schedule to be sure that there's a place of Gethsemane there. Father, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't seek to go forward just in our strength. God, that we wouldn't attempt to win at Golgotha without first having Gethsemane. Father, help us tonight. Preacher.